I'm always so thankful to work with Bill Calloway. He just opens these beautiful moments of worship for us. This morning, our scripture reading comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and declare against it the proclamation that I am commanding you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's word. Now Nineveh was indeed an enormous city, a three days walk across. Jonah started into the city walking one day and he cried out, just 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes from the greatest of them to the least significant. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, stripped himself of his robes, covered himself with mourning clothes, and sat in ashes. Then he announced, and Nineveh, by decree of the king and his officials, neither human nor animal, cattle nor flock, will taste anything, no grazing and no drinking water. Let humans and animals alike put on mourning clothes and let them call upon, the God, call upon God forcefully and let all persons stop their evil behavior and the violence that's under their control. He thought, who knows? God may see this and turn from his wrath so we might not perish. God saw what they were doing, that they had ceased their evil behaviors. So God stopped planning to destroy them, and he didn't do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you may know, religion and scripture is very serious business. As the book of Jonah shows us, sometimes it is life and death. But not always. I remember being a youth. I was a little bit of a late bloomer to faith. I think I've shared that with you before. There was a long period in my childhood where we didn't regularly attend a church, and so I missed all of those times with the felt characters on the board and the puppets explaining to you the greatest hits of the Bible. And I remember sitting in youth group many a time, and people would start to banter back and forth about the greats of the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha, and they would start referencing Bible stories, and I'd furiously be flipping through trying to figure out what in the world they were talking about, because I had no clue. And one day I decided that the best thing for me to do would just be to start at Genesis and plow straight through the Bible. I thought, if I do that, at least I'll know what my friends are talking about in youth group. And so I sat down and I began to read. The only problem was, it was so boring. I was reading it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a... And then two sentences in, I'd start to get sleepy. And I don't think I even made it halfway through Genesis before. I was just like, this is too much. This is more than any one teenager could possibly take on, and I quit. Well, lucky for me, God had placed in my life a really fun and really funny youth pastor who, for a child who took herself too seriously, was a blessing because he was always taking things less seriously than anybody in the room. And he started to teach the members of our youth group that scripture really was an exciting thing. It wasn't just an ancient document. It was actually a book with many books in it. And not everything was written like legal code in Leviticus. Some things were narratives. Other things 
were history, some things were drama, some things were tragedy, and there was even within Scripture comedy. When he really got me was when he told me that if you keep reading in Noah, the story of Noah and the ark, and you get to the part where the ark lands on dry land again and the birds have come and gone, and Noah drinks too much wine, that was the first time I knew that could happen in the Bible. If you haven't read it, I promise you it's there. And suddenly I found myself as a young person fascinated to figure out what else could be in the Bible. And I learned that God uses all genres of writing to reach us, even the genre of comedy. Now you should know that I love comedy. I spent a good portion of my years growing up watching every Mel Brooks film. And I probably shouldn't confess this because some of you are going to write me off completely. I've never seen Star Wars, and the only thing I know about Star Wars is from the movie Spaceballs. Just to give you an idea of, you know, how highbrow my intellect is. (laughs) And so to know that God can speak to us in Scripture through comedy for me is huge. Because I like to understand a lot of the world through comedy. Because for me, it's a good spiritual practice in not taking myself too seriously. And this morning, we have a word from God out of a book that is written as comedy. Some people say it's farce. The book of Jonah, which is literally in my Bible, one page front and back, four chapters, very easy to read, is a book about a minor prophet. Jonah was sent to the people of Nineveh to ask them to repent and believe in God. And in some ways, the story of Jonah, we would expect, would be set up like every other piece of prophetic literature, right? God calls the prophet. The prophet might not be super excited about being called by God, but ultimately the prophet tends to say, yes, Lord, I will go where you send me, and God sends them into a really hard place, and they proclaim a really hard word, and typically, typically, in prophetic literature, the people don't listen. The people don't listen, and something bad happens, and then there's a period of the people trying to be redeemed in the eyes of God and rebuild what's been destroyed, right? Then there's the book of Jonah which in some ways is nothing like the other prophetic books. It looks like it maybe in an outline, maybe vaguely, but it takes all of the things we know about prophets and turns it on its head as a way to make us laugh. In some ways, the book of Jonah uses comedy so that we can swallow a really hard pill, a really difficult message from God. And the message is this, that God can change God's mind and that sometimes we don't really want to change with God. That's the message of Jonah. And here's how it comes out in the book of Jonah. I love this so much. Jonah is called by God, right? And instead of answering, yes, God, I will go to the city of Nineveh. Thank you for choosing me for this difficult work. Jonah immediately says, upon being first called by God, I'm hopping on the next ship to the next city, Tarshish, as it's called. And when Jonah gets on the boat, that's when the storm starts to happen. God sends wind and rain and storm upon not only Jonah, but everyone on the boat, until finally Jonah says, you know what, guys, I think this is my fault. I've angered God. You should throw me overboard. It's the only way to make amends with God, and so they do. But God, because God's not done with Jonah, has Jonah swallowed by a whale or a big fish, however you want to think about it. That's the part we often hear as kids, right? Jonah and the whale. And the whale swallows Jonah and saves his life. And then, I love this, our scripture actually says in Jonah 2.10, then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So then this large fish throws up Jonah onto dry land, and God calls Jonah a second time. This time, Jonah actually listens to God. He goes to the people of Nineveh, and really, it looks like he only has to say it once, y'all should change or else you're going to be ruined, and the people listen. 
That's the very next line. He says that he goes, he goes to them and says, just for 40 days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And not one verse later, it says, and the people of Nineveh believed in God. He's like the most successful prophet ever. No one ever gets this kind of result except for Jonah. So the people repent and believe. The king repents and believes and orders everyone in the kingdom to fast and to put on mourning clothes. And God, seeing this, is moved to forgive them. It says, so God stopped planning to destroy them, and he didn't do it. Well, if you read on to the final chapter in Jonah, which is really just a few paragraphs, we learn that while we would expect Jonah, this sort of crazy prophetic figure, to be really happy that he had done the thing God had called him to do, Jonah instead stomps off and sits himself by a bush. Jonah's mad. Jonah's like, God, you sent me into Nineveh. You pulled me away from my home. I was going to do something really cool, which is tell some people they're going to be destroyed. And I was really looking forward to having a front row and viewing the destruction of Nineveh. But you didn't do it. And now I'm mad, and I'm going to sit by this bush. And for the rest of the story, Jonah sulks by a bush, which actually God sends a worm to eat. Anyways, and Jonah sits there in his anger, and God comes to him and is like, Jonah, why are you so mad? Why are you so mad? You want me to show more mercy to the bush that was eaten by a worm than to an entire city of people. Does that make any sense? Now, you could see how if we were reading this as just a drama, or if we were reading this as a novel, it wouldn't really have the same effect. But when we realize that this book is a big joke, that it's really exaggerated, that all of the features and characters are sort of built up to point something out, we can take its message in a different way. We can look at it and go, silly Jonah, don't you know that if God changes, you can change too? And here's the disarming part with any kind of comedy. Usually if we can get to the point of laughter, we can accept a deep message that sometimes hits us right in the gut. Because here's the truth of the human circumstance. Sometimes there are people that God will show grace and mercy to that we're not ready to show. There are people who disagree with us, who are unlike us, who do things that we don't think are right, and God is ready to show up with mercy, and we're not. In fact, we're like Jonah. We'd really like to have them get what's coming to them because that's what we feel like they deserve. But how does that work out for Jonah when Jonah tries to take it all into his own hands? Not good, right? How's it ever worked out for you when you sort of try to take God's judgment into your own hands and decide where God's mercy is and isn't allowed? I don't know about you, but in my own life, when I allow my anger to well up the way that Jonah allows his anger to well up in this book, it does more harm to me than anyone else. The only person sitting by the bush sulking is me, and everyone else has moved on with their life and their celebration. The only person sitting and refusing to change sometimes is myself. I was reading some work by some sociologists this week that said that's actually part of the human condition. That when there was a time we lived out in the wilderness, and everyone was in tribes, small tribes, family tribes, and the way that you were protected from all of the wildlife that was out to get you was to remain in your tribe, it was life-saving to believe a common thing. In fact, it would be very bad for you if you were the person, the one person who didn't believe like everyone else, because you could get kicked out of the tribe. You get kicked out of the tribe, and a bear comes along, not so great. 
So their theory is, as humans, we are hardwired to hold on to our belief systems. We are hardwired to hold on to those things that we believe in common because we don't want to be that person who changes, who steps outside of the circle. It feels very unsafe. And while for us now, that version of safe versus unsafe is different for early, than it was for early humans, it still feels that way, doesn't it? We don't want to be the social pariah. We don't want to be the one to try out some new idea. It's scary. It feels like we'll be lost. In fact, this impulse within us is so hardwired that it is very hard to change a human being's mind. I was reading that we think that if someone has an opinion and we bring to them the facts, we lay out all the facts to them, our case is in front of them, that they will change their minds. But studies have shown that facts are very bad at changing a person's mind. The only thing that can change someone's mind is if they express empathy. You know that word, empathy? It means that we may not know what someone's going through, but we put ourselves in an imaginary place of picturing ourselves in their shoes, so that even if we don't know them, we try to understand, we try to empathize with what they might be going through. Apparently, if you can exercise empathy for another person, that is the only thing that might help you change your mind. I shared with some of you earlier this week a story that came across my Facebook news feed. It was from a young man who was my ministry intern. He was at Candler, and he interned with me at one of the churches I served. And he was lovely, and he was wonderful to my family because he served that church at the same time I went on maternity leave with my second child. He was the son of a pastor, and so he was perfectly qualified to just take the reins uh, and did a wonderful job leading the church in my absence. And I saw an article he shared from the church he serves now in the New Jersey conference. And the article was about a group of vandals who had broken into their small church and had ripped all of the pipe organ pipes out. They had come into the church and all of the organ pipes, just like those behind us, were pulled down all of the wood. It cost about fifteen dollars to $20,000 of damage, they estimate. All of that in this little church who was trying to figure out what they would do, this awful thing that happened right there in the house of God. Well, I opened the article because I wanted to know more, and I wanted to hear what Will had said to the reporters about this, this crime that had happened in the church that he pastors. And this is what he said. The message I'm really trying to share is that our mission is to worship God and really show love to our neighbors. We're people of mercy and grace. We don't know their story. He's referring to the person who broke in. We don't know their story, but God still loves them. And God loves them more than God loves our organ. I have to tell you, when I read that, I wish I could take credit for the wonderful pastor that Will is, but in that moment, I felt like he was mentoring me. Because my knee-jerk reaction to seeing something destroyed, especially for someone who I love and care about, was to be really angry and to want vengeance for them. I wanted that person arrested, locked up. I wanted them to fix it. And here's Will. We worship a God of mercy, and God wants us to love our neighbors, and God loves them more than God loves our organ. A few days later, Will shared another post from the same small-town newspaper and this time, instead of a picture of the destroyed organ, it was a picture of people who had gathered together in that church to reassemble the chancel, to put everything back together for Sunday morning. 
It was not only people from their church, people from neighboring churches, and just people from the community who were flocking to be a part of this beautiful opportunity for grace and mercy in this place. And I don't know, but I imagine that those people might have been compelled because there's not a whole lot of places in our world where people are choosing mercy over blame, where people are choosing to see the value of another person over the value of being right. And do you know by that next Sunday, there's a picture of Will and other pastors and leaders in his congregation standing in front of a reconstructed chancel. That's hard. That's hard work. It's not just hard work to put it together, but it's hard work to let go when we feel we've been wronged by somebody else, when we feel that someone else is at fault. It's hard work to let go. It's hard work to let go of wanting to punish them, and it's even harder work to accept that God might forgive the very person who we want to suffer. The book of Jonah takes a comical look at this by taking a prophet who is called by God and making them sort of the butt of the joke. Jonah is the one we should be laughing at, but conversely, we are the ones we should be laughing at. In some ways, the book of Jonah reminds us that all too often the joke is on us. When God is ready to move on and forgive and redeem, sometimes we're the people sitting and pouting by the bush. Sometimes we're the one who just can't let go. And as we can see in the book of Jonah, the only person who suffers at the end of this book is Jonah. Because God is there again and again to show Jonah mercy. Do you pick that up in the book? God calls Jonah once, Jonah runs. God could punish Jonah. God doesn't. God shows mercy and saves Jonah. God calls Jonah a second time. Jonah goes. Jonah gets mad again. God shows Jonah mercy. Jonah's the only one who can't seem to see that the same mercy that's been given to him might be given to someone else. You know, it makes me think about ways we as people of faith can be involved in ministries that call us to see God's mercy. And what was bubbling up for me as I was writing this sermon was the great history that this congregation has with prison ministry. If you think about it, prison ministry is not only valuable to us as people of faith because it's what Jesus called us to do, it's valuable to us because it helps us hone in the resources of empathy. You see, in our society, someone is imprisoned because they broke a legal code that we have all agreed to, right? And because they've broken that legal code, they are put in a place where we do not have access to them and they do not have access to us. When that happens, the person who is imprisoned all too often becomes the crime they have committed and not a child of God, not a human being. They are an arsonist. They are a murderer. They are a rapist. And we forget that they have a life and a value outside of that crime. But I've heard profound stories of people who have been involved in prison ministry who've gone to teach Bible studies to those who are incarcerated, who've gone to lead worship, who've gone to visit with and pray with families and those imprisoned. And what I hear time and time again from this kind of ministry is two things. One is the powerful change that God can do in someone's life. They begin to hear stories about how people have decided to change, have repented of their past wrongdoings, have chosen to lead a different life. But they also, and I say they, the people who go to visit, those who are visiting those in prison, 
begin to learn that the person in front of them is not a crime, they're a human being. And they begin to have to wrestle with the fact that the very person that they have fear for, that they feel is rightly punished, maybe they have hatred for, might also be a person in whom God's grace and mercy can work. And that's hard. To realize that God can change God's mind, that God can show mercy, opens us up to the possibility that God might be calling us to do the same. God might be changing our minds about people or places, not because of facts or data, but because we're open to being in relationship with people who are different than us. Imagine what would have happened, what would have changed in Jonah's story if Jonah had met just one Ninevite. There is no relationship in Jonah's prophetic journey. Jonah just walks through a street and starts yelling at people. Imagine if he had stopped and talked to one person. Do you think he would have felt different about proclaiming their destruction? Do you think it would have been a little bit harder for him to gloat about the fact that they would all be destroyed and he would be saved? I imagine if he had met just one person, he would not have found himself sitting and sulking by that bush because he would have been rejoicing with God, rejoicing that God had changed the hearts of the people of Nineveh, that the people of Nineveh now worshiped God, and that was a thing to be proclaimed. Sometimes in our own lives, there are places where God is calling us to change. Maybe we meet someone new we've never met before, who lives differently than us, who looks differently than us, who acts differently than us. And at a distance, we would not want to be their companion, but when we get to know them, we realize that there are some God-given similarities. Maybe there are issues that we've just labeled or individuals that we've just labeled that God is calling us to consider. When I read this book of Jonah, besides being glad that God can express God's selves in a multitude of ways in Scripture, what is open for me is that sometimes the biggest growing edge in my own faith life is to be open to the fact that God can change and to be open to the fact that God can change me. What do you need to be open to today? Where is God drawing you to learn more? Who is God drawing you to meet? What is God calling you to let go of? What anger do you need to set down so that you can see clearly the mercy of God before you and before others? Let us pray. Gracious God, we come here week after week and proclaim your goodness. We proclaim your mercy and your love and your forgiveness when we mess up. And God, today we confess that sometimes it is hard to offer that to other people. Sometimes it is hard to desire your goodness for people who've hurt us, for people who are not like us, for people who live and practice and believe in ways that are different from us. And yet, God, through the story of Jonah, you have shown us that if even you can change your mind, if even you can change your heart, if even you can show mercy, maybe, just maybe, we can too. 
And God, that is our prayer today. In Christ's name, amen. It's fun and difficult work. And there may be those of you here today who are wrestling with things in your own life or trying to process or think through the things that are happening in our world, and you're looking for a group of people to do that with. I want you to know that the doors of Shamley United Methodist Church are always open to you. This is a wonderful community of faith, and even though we are not always of one mind, we are here together showing up for each other Sunday after Sunday because we love each other and because we believe in God's love for each other. I hope if you're considering membership or have questions about what it might be to be a member of a community of faith, you'll speak to myself or to Pastor Eric. We would love for you to be a part of the good work that's happening in this place. And now I invite you to stand as you are able as we sing our closing hymn, Trust and Obey, number 467.